Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Kristen Fury, whose first Crohn's symptoms began when she was just 12 years old. She had her first surgery at age 19 and is now, at age 25, focused on raising awareness for IBD and ostomy patients. She's here to share her journey with Crohn's, tips and tricks for managing flares, and how she balances life with IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kristen, and welcome to the show. I appreciate for you having me. I'm very excited, and um, this is my second podcast, so I'm, I'm excited to see um, what should I, I should expect. Fantastic. And I, uh, I listened to your other podcasts, so I will grab those. You did those with 11 Health, and we'll get into talking about that a little bit later, but I will include those in the show notes just so that if other people want to listen to those a little bit different topics, um, still about IBD, but I'll plug those into the show notes. That would be great. Thank you. Of course. So as my listeners know, I like to start off with our guests' IBD stories. So why don't you jump in and share your Crohn's story, a little bit about when your first symptoms began and how you got your diagnosis. Of course. So starting from when I was very little, um, about 8 to 12, I was a soccer player. So I was very competitive in any sports I did. I liked to be outside all the time. But um, one soccer game, I started to slow down. And my mom looked at me like, what's going on? So um, later, I had very severe stomach pain. And one day, I had blood in my stool. So my mom's like, something's going on. She took me to a doctor, and they diagnosed me with celiac at 12. So I spent almost a year on a wheat-free diet. And that was very hard because I was already little. And then later, after many tests at a young age, they diagnosed me with Crohn's. So it's really hard to remember what the flare was because I didn't know it was a flare. It was more like I didn't feel good. But I just remember pain. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do, like play outside. And it just was more of laying around. And how long did it take to get the diagnosis from the time that you first, that your parents first started taking you to the doctors to actually? find out that yes, it is Crohn's. I want to say a year and I want to say it was like three different medical teams. So I started at one hospital and they said celiac and I got a second opinion and they couldn't figure it out. So I kept jumping from medical teams to medical teams. And it was almost like I felt so desperate to know what was going on. And then going on those diets was just torture. They didn't have anything that was like today, wheat free option. I remember the one thing they had was the wheat-free pasta, so I could at least do that. But I I just didn't want to eat at all. So very, very young age, not being able to eat wheat, and then also being in pain all the time. Yeah, it's a bad combination. Hard enough when you're an adult to be facing that. But when you're 12, you're just so young and don't know what to do at that point. Exactly. 
So what was what happened next once uh, you got the official diagnosis? It's kind of been a rocky journey since then, from what it sounds like. So tell me a little bit about how you grew up and went through your teenage years when you had your first surgery, and kind of let's get into some of those parts of the story. Okay. So after they finally found my diagnosis, I had the uh, colonoscopies. Um, they started with Pentassa, I believe was one of my first medications. I did not like taking pills, so I was not the best patient. <laughs> I did take some of the medication, but they ended up just putting me on steroids at a young age. So come high school years, I vaguely remember 10th grade, but I had that moon face. So they got to the point where none of the medications were putting me in the spot where the doctors really wanted me. They didn't want me to get any more sick. So they put me on prednisone. Um, I went through high school missing so many days of school. I still graduated with 12 in my class, but I was never around. Everyone always wondered where I was. I had a bathroom pass that I could leave the classroom anytime I wanted to go sit in the bathroom for an hour and cry. So it, it was very difficult. Um, but as I came to find different passions, it helped me get through school. So I was a actor <laughs> in plays mm -hmm. in high school. So that was a lot of fun. So even though I was this frail, 70 pound, pale um, high schooler, I was still in every single play. And even though I missed schools, my drama teacher was so understanding. So I graduated high school and that wasn't going to stop me from going on to college. So I turned 18 and I got accepted to Cal State Fullerton in California. And I moved from Northern California to Southern California. Um, my uncle works in doing research for IBD and he had wow. met a Yes. So it's amazing. He's, uh, was a professor at Duke in North, North Carolina as well. So he met this doctor, her name was Dr. Dubinsky, and she happened to work at Cedar sinai in Southern California. So that's the first doctor I went to see. Um, just another doctor. I felt so frustrated having to see someone new, but since I moved, I had to find a new medical team. So she took one look at me and she's like, there's something seriously wrong. We're, we're putting you into surgery. Scared to death to hear that because I never even thought that you could get surgery because of Crohn's, which is kind mm -hmm. of ironic because my Nana grew up with Crohn's and had an ostomy bag, but I was, I wasn't aware of anything. My parents were very protective and I was very naive. I didn't know anything about anything because I was sick for most of my life. So I go into ostomy surgery the next day. I have no time to prepare, no time to research, scared to death. And they tell me I'm going to get an ostomy back. They say it's temporary. You're, you're going to get this reversed. We need to get this on. We need to get this ostomy developed, not developed, but set right away. Mm -hmm. So I wake up and I'm in severe pain. I'm only in the hospital for four days, but a couple months later, I gained 50 pounds. So. Wow. My IBD has just been up and down, but that ostomy surgery kind of was the most defining part in my IBD story. 
Mm -hmm. I want to jump back into that in a minute here, but you touched on something I want to kind of call out a little bit more. You mentioned when you were in high school that you found different passions to get through. And I've been doing a lot of just research and focus on mindset lately and just how our mood and our emotions really affect our physical body as well. And and I've always said that it's so important to find a passion and to really find something that you can look forward to. So tell me a little bit more, talk about how finding that passion, what that did for you being in high school, but still dealing with IBD. How did that passion help get you through the days? Can you talk a little bit more about that? And what yeah, it did? Yeah. So like I first mentioned, I used to play soccer. Soccer was my entire world and it was my dream. I wanted to go on to play competitive soccer in college and become a soccer player. So when I got that kind of ripped up, ripped away from me, uh, I'm not to, not to sound dramatic, but it, it was just mm -hmm. it was my whole world. So since I had that IBD, I was not able to do that. But when time came for high school, there was the drama department. So I took that first year of drama class and I fell in love. I went on stage and I didn't have any fears or anxiety and it just made me feel so happy. So I would come to school feeling horrible. I'd be in pain. I'd just not even look good because I didn't even feel well enough to feel good. But then I'd get into drama class and all of the people that surrounded me, you know, some people are bullied in school. Some people are a little bit different. So theater kids are very different. They're so energetic and happy and full of life. And I just was always like that. And I still am. I'm always just kind of over excited about everything. And they just made me so happy. So I decided that instead of just feeling horrible all the time and never wanting to do anything I loved, I would find that theater got me through my school days when I could attend school. So I would do those plays and I would invite my friends to come. My friends were cheerleaders and football players and I was in the drama department. So I kind of hung out with many different crowds. I wasn't just in one group. I kind of spread myself, but I would invite them to come see me perform. I had my Nana come. My Nana passed away a couple of years ago, but she was one of my huge supporters. And it was always so great to see her there in the crowd, as well as my mom and my dad. So that was something that made me happy. And with the disease that affects your mental state, your physical state, everything, being happy is sometimes really hard. So for that one passion to make me happy, it kind of changed each and every day when I was surrounded in that kind of scene. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing a little bit more about that. I love hearing it. So you you mentioned you're very energetic, which you, you definitely are. And you, most of your posts are very positive, but you do share all the different sides of Crohn's in your story. And you've had some some posts that have been a little bit more sad at times, but overall you're very positive and you're very energetic. Talk a little bit about how you've been able to keep that mindset and keep nurturing that mindset as you get older and as you continue to battle with IBD. So it wasn't always like that. It was really hard mm -hmm. when I first had my surgery. So when I found that positivity got me through hard times, that was something that I always needed. So many people go through 
a lot of things in life. So I'm, I will never judge another person after going through something like this. But if someone has a, a certain attitude or they're acting a certain way, it may be because they're going through something. So having that positive light in people's lives, even if maybe they cut you off on the freeway or they say something kind of not as nice to you and you give them a smile, it changes their entire day. So a lot of my friends always say, I would never know you have this illness because you're always so positive. And sometimes I have another um, Instagram and sometimes I post a lot of happy things. And then when they find out I have Crohn's, they're like, there's no way because you're always happy and positive. So mm -hmm. I don't think that being positive and happy necessarily would mean that you are healthy and would mean that everything is always right in your life. It's just a something to get you through things, if that makes sense. I, yeah. I couldn't have gotten through this disease without my positivity. There's two things that I will forever be thankful for. And that's my parents for always be th being there for me and taking care of me. And my attitude and my positivity that I'm thankful to have. Because sometimes people have certain mental illnesses or things like that. And sometimes you can't always be positive. So I always tell someone, I always tell people, whether it's the patients I work with or my friends who have IBD or chronic illnesses, if you at least have 1% of positivity, it everything isn't going to change. You're going to get through the next day. You're going to get through that severe surgery that you have just had, and you're going to see the next day positively. That's an important message to have because it's it really does make a difference. It's so, sometimes it can feel so easy to just spiral downward in our emotions. And so to just, I love how you point out that if you just have that 1% positivity, you can, you can kind of embrace that and call that up and it can grow from there. But it's an important message. Don't get me wrong. I'm not this always happy <laughs> My posts lately, I have been sad and People are sad because sometimes you're scared of what's coming, but I do at mm -hmm. least have 1% and I, I won't ever lose it. I love that. So tell me a little bit more. Let's jump back to your ostomy surgery. You mentioned it just kind of happened right away. There was no time pre to prepare or wrap your head around it. So talk to me a little bit about what that process was like of actually getting the surgery and then Looking back in hindsight, are there different things that you wish you would have known going into it or just things you wish, you know, wish you knew then what you know now? Yes. So I remember that I drove to Beverly Hills from Orange County. So it was about an hour and a half, two hour drive. And I was just extremely nervous. It was with my mom and we got to the appointment and we waited. So that wait time just felt like forever. And we saw the um, the person that comes in and asks you a couple questions and take your blood pressure, the nurse. And then another person comes in and then you finally see the doctor. And she gives me the news of the surgery and I'm just shocked. So in that time, I would have loved to do my research. I would have loved to know more about stomacite and to know about how to put the bag on or how to um, know different issues that you can have from the ostomy, like you can get a blockage or things like that. So I wish I could have went and watched those YouTube videos or found um, different Instagrams of people going through this in order for to prepare myself. 
I didn't have any of that. So then I felt so lost when I woke up. What helped you recover through that process? Were there any nurses or healthcare professionals that helped you through that recovery? Or was it just this learning process for you and your family to figure those things out once you woke up and it's like, it's done, then what, then where do you go? So when I went home, um, I don't remember the nurse really showing me how to change the bag. So I had home health come, did not unfortunately have a good experience with home health. So I felt completely lost. I went to the WOCN department at Cedar sinai and saw a couple of nurses. And I had one nurse tell me that she had a phone number of a patient that was willing to give out her information. And I was like, oh, okay. So I wrote down her name and her phone number and I never called. I was so nervous. I don't, not never, but I, I didn't call at that moment. Uh, a couple months went by and I sent a text message and I was so nervous because I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want to talk about it because it was just awful. I had this bag on my stomach. I, I didn't want to accept it. So she ended up messaging me a couple weeks later, apologizing, saying that she was in surgery. And she said that she would love to meet up with me. She lived 30 minutes from me, took me to dinner and just talked with me. And it was, it was like, I didn't feel alone anymore. And I never wow. thought that, that feeling would ever come. And this person I will forever be thankful for. She is my person I call at 3 a.m. with a symptom I've never had saying, what is going on? I don't know what to do. Still to this day, I've had my ostomy for six years and my Crohn's for 12. And there she is answering my phone calls, ready to help at any moment. So without her, that I really don't know what I would have done. But she was my little angel that I met from the beginning. And we, we've stayed in touch even until this day. That is awesome. What an amazing story to just have that support right there when you need it at most. That's really incredible. Tell me a little bit. You mentioned in one of your posts that you had suffered some PTSD from your medical trauma. Is that something that you are wanting or willing to open up and talk a little bit more about? I think you shared a little bit in some of your Instagram stories. Was that after this ostomy or one of your other surgeries that you've had since then? So this was after one of my surgeries. It wasn't my ostomy surgery, but it was my flap surgery for what they call a Barbie butt, which I learned recently. Um, but so I had the initial total colectomy and they sewed up my bottom uh, because I had perianal disease. So after they sewed that up, I went home. I did exactly what the surgeon said. He said, no driving for this amount of weeks, um, sit for this amount of time. And I was completely listened to all the directions. A couple of weeks later, my bottom ripped apart. I was so discouraged. I had gone through so much pain. Um, many patients who've had this bottom surgery will know what I'm talking about when they hear about a bottom ripping open from this major surgery. So I go back into surgery and we bring in a plastic surgeon because they need to do a flap surgery. So I'm, I'm not sure the full name of it, but they took a piece of um, skin from my butt cheek and then they used that to cover up the perianal disease where it had ripped apart. In that surgery, I was not really 
told how long that recovery really would be. I was in one of those beds that was special for this kind of surgery. You have to lay on your back. It's, I would explain it kind of like a waterbed, but it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. And they don't let you move the position. So you're mm-hmm. in that bed in the hospital. I believe it was about three and a half weeks in the hospital. And I look at my surgeon and I say, you promised me that I would be going back to school. This is the only reason why I had said I would go through this surgery. And he's like, there wasn't anything that we could do. I'm going to have to send you to a recovery home. So after those long three weeks of me being patient and me feeling positive and severe pain, I don't remember most of it. I was on so many pain meds. They send me to the recovery home, even further away from home. I don't see any of my friends. My mom can't spend the night with me. I see her after work a couple hours, maybe two times a week. And I just become like severely scared. I don't know what to do. I cry every night. I feel like my whole room is just closing in on me. And I I feel like I can't even breathe. So feel that feeling now, every time I have to go back in the hospital, it comes back. If I don't have my mom or dad there with me, um, I can go about a couple hours without them knowing that they're just going to be going on a walk. I I have this huge, I don't even know what to call it, but it's mm-hmm. like even thinking about it right now, I'm shaking a little bit because mm-hmm. it's this fear that you're never going to get out. So maybe those who have been in prison where they're in a cell, not knowing what to expect what's going to happen. It's something kind of what I experienced. So I'm in that recovery home about a month and then I start to relearn how to walk and I pass out. So it's just like so many horrible things happened in that place. I did have one person that was my neighbor that would come in and visit me. And that did help me. That made me feel like I wasn't going to die in there, but I felt like I was never going to get out of there. I was scared to death. I, like I said, I just cried all the time and I, I couldn't move. So that kind of, what helped, what helped you cope? Was it mostly your neighbor that was your support system that was able to help get you through that? Are there different things that you were able to do to help make it through that time? So my neighbor, yes, she was able to get out of bed. Um, uh, like 10 to 20 minutes a day. She was in a car accident when she was very little. So she was in a wheelchair, but she had the same surgeon as I did. So we had similar surgeries, but her recovery was a lot different than mine. She was able to get up and go around in her wheelchair. So she chose to come see me instead of going outside Mm -hmm. or going in the room where you can go do arts and crafts and stuff like that. So yes, I would say she was one of the people who really helped me get through. She had friends come and they would come in my room instead of just going and hanging out with her friends. Like she could have, you know, she probably could have, but she brought them to me and we would play games. The only thing is as soon as she left, I felt that much worse. So uh, my mom came as well. I had my grandparents come once and I did have one friend come, but those were knowing that they were coming, I, that was my mentality. I said, okay, so they're coming tomorrow today. I'm going to do this. I would, I, I'm very, I'm not a control freak, but I'm 
very focused. So if something's, if I'm having anxiety, I have to sit there and think about it. Okay. So if I do X, Y, and Z, this is going to get better. I don't need to worry about this because it's not going to really happen. So I talk myself into that mindset. So knowing they were coming to see me, that was kind of good until they left. And then it was kind of another kind of hard time to get through. But if I didn't have that neighbor, like I said, I, I don't know where I would be. Sounds like an amazing neighbor to, to be there and just supporting you through that. How long were you in the recovery home? I want to say about a month. And I had the surgeon come back to remove the drains and the staples. But every time he came, it was another reason to not take the drain out. So taking the drain out wasn't fun. It was severely painful, but having it in was even more painful. So I had yeah. the pain from the bottom, but then I had these drains in, in my butt cheek and then also um, by my hips. So he would say if there wasn't a lot of um, drainage, he would take the drain out. So he'd say, okay, I'm coming next week. So he'd come, he'd look at the drain and he'd say, oh no, I'm not taking it out. And I would just sit there and cry and say, you promised me, like, please don't promise me this. And he'd just leave. And then I'd wait for him to come back and he'd say again, I can't take the drain out. There's still drainage. So kind of that was another thing that I had to kind of manage in that place, hoping that he would take out these things that were causing me pain, but it would be painful when he took them out. So after he had come back to take them out and he took the staples out, then I could start walking. I couldn't leave until I was able to walk on my own. So that was mm -hmm. a whole another struggle. Wow. Well, that is definitely a heck of a journey to have to go through. And I really do want to say thank you for being willing to share that and open up and talk about it. Because I know I've heard from so many people who have reached out to me and said that when they get their Crohn's diagnosis or when they go through the different things, that they do feel so alone. And I know that just hearing the stories of what other people are going through, whether it's the same thing, a similar thing, or not the same thing, it really does make a difference for people to be able to hear that and connect with someone and have that story resonate. So thank you for sharing that. I really do mean it. Yeah. So let's let's switch topics to I guess something a little more fun for a minute. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about food. Um, I know for IBD patients, we're all so different in what we can tolerate, and it fascinates me just to the nth degree of how different we each are. So tell me a little bit about has food ever been a trigger for you? And then since your ostomy, is that something that you have to watch and pay attention to? Or do you have a little bit more flexibility now that you've had the surgery? So after the surgery, I know they had said no nuts or seeds or fruit peels, things like that. But I had never had any issues with them. I'm able mm -hmm. to eat any kind of nuts, seeds, fruit, um, anything that may cause a blockage. So things like that, I have not really needed to stay away from. But my trigger foods when I am in the flare-up, which I've, I was in a flare-up until, uh, until this year. So mm -hmm. things that, any kind of foods would hurt me. But I would say specific foods like red sauce for like pizza or spaghetti, um, ketchup, lemonade, anything with acidity would trigger me. But mm -hmm. I'm very lucky to not have had, I had a partial blockage, but it was not due to food. 
So I haven't had those issues as of my surgery. Um, but I know a lot of people say, be careful with chewing. So I think maybe that is why popcorn nut seeds. I don't, I, I try to stay away th from them, but if I do eat them, I do pay attention to chewing, but mm -hmm. I would say I'm very lucky with the food. Yeah, that's awesome. And the red sauce is one that I know has come up quite a bit. It's uh, I know it's a, it's a bother for me. And I've heard a lot of people say that the red sauce is trigger food for a lot of people. It's kind of just... Yeah. I've never heard that. Me. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're able to enjoy a variety of foods now. That's definitely a positive. Yeah. So like I said, any type of foods will hurt me when I'm in the flare. I know some people can kind of do like the brat diet and not have pain. But um, unfortunately, even when my Crohn's flare starts to happen, it's it's any food. So it's kind of great that I know what's going on and can hopefully stop it before it starts. But I, I think many other people may be able to resonate with that. So that's why I just wanted to share it. No, yeah, that's a great thing to, to throw in there and mention. Tell me a little bit more about flares because I did, I read in your Instagram and you just mentioned it here that this is really the first time that you've ever been in remission. And so, which is great. So knock on wood that you're able to stay there, but that means you've spent a very large majority of your time battling flare, flare ups and, and symptoms. So what are some of the things that you have learned over the years as you've tried to navigate your symptoms, whether they've been mild or severe or somewhere in between? What are the things that you've done that you have found have helped you to kind of take care of your body and get yourself through those times? So after my surgery, I thought maybe that would be the cure to my disease. I wouldn't have any mm -hmm. symptoms. I'll be better. But what it did was it helped me gain, gain the weight. I wasn't dying anymore because I didn't have my colon inside of me killing me. And I was able to still live even though I had the symptoms. So my symptoms have always been around. So me being able to manage those was really, really hard. I would say rest is one of my biggest um, things that helps me. The more I give advice, the more I like to take my own advice. So as I, mm -hmm. as the time goes by, I do take my own advice as much as possible because resting for me, as I said, I've had a flare my entire, my entire Crohn's life. I haven't been able to do anything. So in this remission, I don't want to rest. So when I start feeling bad, it's very hard for me to go sit when I, like I talked about that surgery where it was a two month surgery and then coming home to recover after that, or the other six surgeries that I've had in the last six years. So rest is very huge. Listen to your body, listen to your medical team. If your body is saying, please don't go out that night or please don't overwork yourself, listen to it. Um, trigger foods, stay away from them. I know they're probably your favorite. I would say ketchup's my favorite food. <laughs> I know it's not a food, but I love ketchup, but it hurts me. So when the flare is very, very bad, I stay away from those specific foods that really hurt me. Um, anxiety is a huge thing for me. When my disease comes, my stress increases and then it affects my anxiety. So lately I've had the worst anxiety and for me to think about things to help that anxiety, it they really do help. So I go to the beach and that's kind of my way of getting away from everything that I'm thinking about. 
I've gone to the beach after a surgery and felt no pain. I would just close my eyes, listen to the waves and just be there in the moment. And it just seems like all of my worries go away. Um, Hanging around my friends, they are very good distractions for what's going on. It's weird how much pain you're in. But then when you're around somebody that's distracting you from it, you're like, oh, I don't feel pain anymore. I forgot I was in pain. Mm -hmm. So that would be my second. Mm -hmm. And then my third is dancing. So dancing is my entire life now. I line dance twice a week when I'm feeling okay. I haven't been feeling well the last few weeks, but I go line dancing with friends and it's like the beach. I forget everything. Mm-hmm. And my friends say that they see me smiling and they're like, Weren't, I just can't believe you're smiling with everything you're going through this week. And I say, it's, it's dancing. So if you find things like that, that can kind of help control your anxiety and your stress, I believe personally that it may help your disease. So when my anxiety is under control, like, so I'd say the last two days have been good days for me. Um, It's very up and down right now, but I was around friends and I was doing things that would distract me from the anxiety. So Mm -hmm. those three things, they're not probably tricks that people have heard, but stay away from trigger food, get some rest and find ways to help your anxiety and your mental health. Those are great tips and they're they're good reminders too of I I think we just we can't be told enough, we can't hear it enough of, you know, that we need to rest cuz I know I've said it for many many years of I've told myself, "All right, I need to go to bed early. I need to rest." And I've known it, but it's like it really had to be you know, just beat into my head over and over and over for me to finally, you know, have it click. <laughs> like, I just need to rest. <laughs> so, And then you do it and you feel better and you're like, why didn't yes. I do this earlier? <laughs> exactly. Like, I should have been doing this, you know, 15 years ago, but, <laughs> but we don't. We, we don't listen to ourselves and I think we just have a tendency to keep going. So those are definitely great tips and, and very good reminders. Why dancing? Was that a a passion that you've always had or was it something you just thought it would be fun to do to get out? So I always wanted to be on like a dance team in high school. I loved dancing. We had the school dances and I would just go and kind of like freestyle dance and I loved it. So at school, Mm -hmm. we only had band and theater. We didn't have like a drill team or anything like that. So I would dance for fun, but coming in college, so I grew up in a country town. So I listened to country music. I read. Well, I'm here in Texas. (laughs) Yeah. So I was fully country. So when I got invited to go line dancing, it was just amazing. There's choreographer dances. Everybody's doing them together. Even if there's people who aren't dancing that you just talk with, but the dances were just so much fun. And even though they were during the week, I wasn't working at the time. So I would go to class during the day and I would go dancing at night. So I've actually been going to these country bars since I was 19. So it's been six, seven years and it's just helped me get through pretty much my disease. Like it's something that's very positive and I can go there with my friends and I can dance. So even when I go to non-country bars, I like other kind of dancing too. I can mm-hmm. basically follow anyone who leads me in any kind of dance. Um, I'm very coordinated. So I think that's, again, it's something that when you're good at something, it's a lot more fun to do. So just that choreographer dances and being around my friends, it just became another one of my passions. 
Yeah, that's great. I mean, it just comes right back to what you said at the beginning is just having that passion, something to look forward to, a, a bright spot in the day and to really help you get through some of those tough times. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the advocacy work that you're doing, because over this past year, you've really become a big advocate for IBD. You are the very first patient coach. So I want you to talk about that and kind of what you're doing. But to start kind of as we kick off this advocacy section, why don't you first tell me what made you, what kind of compelled you to start sharing your story and then talk about how you heard about Eleven Health and then how the whole patient coaches developed from there. Okay. So I didn't start sharing my story until I started as a patient coach. So mm -hmm. I, I think I'll start more at Eleven Health because I wasn't really compelled to share my story or be an advocate until I worked for the company. So okay. that little angel comes back into play, the one that um, I got the phone number and met up with. She had told me about a, a study that was going on. So a company was trying to help eliminate skin issues around the stoma. So she said they would just need to take a picture of the stoma and I would get a gift card and it was just it would be help to other ostomy patients. So mm -hmm. I was scared to death because I wouldn't even let anybody see the actual bag, let alone the stoma. I think it was just my mom and dad and a couple friends who came to visit me. So I go with her. This is the company she works at, Eleven Health. So I go um, and I meet Karen, who is the head of the patient experience, and she hands me a flyer. She said, we are having um, recruitment for a program that we'd like to start. It's called the Patient Coach Program. So I get the flyer, I take the picture, and I meet everybody. They're so kind, and then I kind of go home. And I look at the flyer, and I'm like, I don't want to talk about my ostomy to other people. Like, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of put it away in a drawer, continue at in and out. And I was in college at the time. And a couple of my, I would say like two months later, I pulled the flyer back out. And I say, you know what? Like, why not? Why not at least call to hear more about it? So I call and I have a phone interview and they want me to start. And I'm excited. It's um, a paid job. It's a, it's a job role. Um, it's a couple hours a week. I get to work from home. In and out was very hard on me because I was always on my feet. So I ended up leaving In and Out to start at Eleven Health. So I go in one day and they say, you know what, we want you in the office three times a week. So it was kind of a fast process. I started mm -hmm. from working from home just a little bit and then in the office three days a week. And um, the patient coach program was born. So Eleven Health is a company that has a smart ostomy technology bag. And then they also have a patient coach program where they support their patients and then a nurse program. So before all of that, they just had a medical device. It was a sensor that would go on the bag and that was the main thing. It's a startup company that was created by an IBD patient. He was the 11th patient in the UK to undergo a small bowel transplant. So he wanted to create something that would make ostomy patients' lives easier. So first he came up with the technology and then met Karen, one of the most amazing people that you will ever meet if you ever see her in person. Mm -hmm. She developed an idea 
to have a program for the patients to support them, to help them with the device, to help them not feel alone. So that's where I came in. I kind of supported all of the patients. So there was about 50 patients on that had the sensor. So I would call them. Some people wouldn't answer. Some people weren't interested, but I, I, w- I would never stop until I, I got to them. So I'm one of those people, even at work, helping to um, train the PCs. I will get into every single person's life and know about them. I am so determined to know who they are so I can better know them. I Once you know somebody, then you can support them and you can be there for them. You, you don't... To, Better manage or train people if you know about them on like more a little bit of a personal level. It really Mm -hmm. helps kind of to have a good relationship with them. So I got I got into these patients and they were just so amazed that I was there to call them just to see how they were doing. It wasn't a scam. We weren't there to Mm -hmm. sell them something. If for some reason that medical or the technology didn't work for them, I wasn't going to go anywhere. I was still there to ask how their lunch with their mom went or how their stomach was feeling because they had the flu or different things like that. I was still going to be there for them no matter what. So as as the company grew and we started to recruit a little bit more, more coaches came in. So I kind of developed the position, of course, with the help of Karen. This is her whole world. This this program and this company, she has developed and grown so greatly. I just feel so thankful for working under her. So we started to recruit those patient coaches. I helped train and let them know the process of how it would be like to work with patients. So we now have developed a training process. So from that first day that I became a coach until now, I think I have wanted to kind of become an advocate because of meeting them. So I got Mm -hmm. to learn hands-on what it was like to support someone before even sharing my story on social media or something like that. So feeling that feeling when you support someone and they tell you that they didn't know what they would do without you, it it was just amazing. It still didn't mean that I was going to be comfortable showing a picture of my bag, but it meant Mm -hmm. that I was one closer to talking about it. If I could tell them about my story and support them a better way, that meant that I was one step closer. So about a year into the company, I started my Instagram. And then when I posted my first picture with my bag, all the coaches were commenting. They were saying how proud they were. And it just made me feel so great. Now I am a couple months into the Instagram and I get messages daily. And they say, I am so happy for your honesty because that is exactly how I'm feeling. So I don't think social media is always about being positive and sharing about different tips, but it's also about sharing exactly how you're feeling because Mm -hmm. anybody can kind of talk about how to shower with an ostomy or um, what a surgery may look like. But if you actually share what you're feeling at that moment, someone else may kind of see that and maybe they may not feel as alone as they already do. And that's kind of what the program is put in place for. We're here to help with the technology, to help you not feel alone, to help you with your bag changes. Or if you're afraid to tell your boyfriend that you have an ostomy, we're always going to be there. 
and we're we're like a friend. Um, I've I have patients that I've talked to since November of 2017, and they're like my little buddies. I just I'm always going to be there. What an incredible journey to have gotten in touch with Eleven Health to be part of it and to be involved in such an amazing program. What is it? What does it mean to you? What What is it like to actually know that you were on the forefront of such an incredible program that is here for IBD patients? I would say I feel lucky to have gone to that first day of that study. I got to meet Karen. I got to meet a couple of the engineers. And then I got to start in this company. When I got to know Michael, the CEO, a little bit better, I was amazed of everything that he was doing. He is the most selfless person. He created this company not to make money. It is nowhere near anything for that. He he wanted to help patients not feel like it was the end of the world because of this ostomy bag. You had Mm -hmm. to learn how to know when to empty the bag and deal with leaks. And he wanted to create a family, the 11 Health family, to help patients. So me coming in at that right time, I felt lucky to have been found. And now looking back at how far we've come just with the patient coach program, I'm so happy. And I, I can't believe how far that this program has come now and how far we can even come in the future. So as the company develops more technology and more exciting news, the program for the, for the patient coaches is going to get even better. We are now health, health coach certified. We go through a very strict training process. The coaches have to go through all of these steps in order to even speak with a patient. And I get to see it all. And I get to be a part of it. And I get to stand by Karen and just be proud of everything that we have done. And I, I couldn't be happier about it. That's awesome. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm just so excited. It's it's an incredible thing. How old is Eleven Health? It's a still a really new company. How old is Eleven Health? And then have you been there a year, year and a half? I started in November of 2017, so almost two years. And I am drawing a blank, but I would say they're about five years. So when I came in, they had had the technology out. But before that, they had gone through the prototype of the first technology and then the development. The company started in the UK. So they came over to the US and um, some of the employees are still in the UK. But um, I will have to get back to you on that full mm-hmm. year, but I would I would say five years. And I'd, I've been with a company for about two. And do you know how many patient coaches you're up to now? We have 40. Wow. Oh, it's, it's just great. And I'm actually helping with the recruitment process. So we have an amazing patient coach manager right now. And between the two of us, we are in all of the interviews for the new applicants. And we just get to learn all of these amazing people's stories and get to know them. And um, those who join the family, we just get to welcome with open arms. We have this um, communication platform, WhatsApp, where we support each other internally in the program. So we're there supporting patients, but we're patients too. So even though we're here to support 
other ostomy patients, we have surgery and we have flares. So we're able to kind of talk amongst each other and just be happy for successes and then be there to support when people are in surgery or they're not going through the best of times. Such an incredible resource. And so you actually have not just your patient manager role, kind of the patient coaching aspect that you do there at 11 Health, but you also have another major role in putting together the very first HOPE conference. So do you want to talk a little bit about that too? Yes, I would love to. So HOPE is our very first conference and I was asked to project manage, which was a huge honor for me. I'd never done something like that. And uh, my role is kind of just to make sure that all of the tasks are getting complete and that each week we have accomplished more and more and we're a step closer to putting on this amazing conference. So it is our first conference, so it's a huge learning experience. We have spoken to so many supporters and um, sponsors that are going to be there at our event. I believe there's at least 10 that are actively supporting us. We have keynote speakers that are going to be speaking at the conference. And we are just so excited to be able to invite so many different people. So this conference is unlike many others. I've actually not attended any other conferences, but I know that there are patient conferences and then there are med tech mm -hmm. conferences and then there's from, for doctors. So ours is a lot different. We are inviting patients. So they can be ostomy patients, IBD patients. We're inviting doctors, surgeons, nurses, families. So everybody is invited that kind of is in that ostomy IBD community. Um, we are holding a free conference. So attendance is completely free, which is amazing. Um, you just have to get there. And we are having kind of TED Talk style presentations, as well as all of the coaches are giving presentations about their stories. So we have a couple other things that are very exciting as far as events. But for me, being able to be a part of this, I started as the coach and then I have helped a ton with social media. I managed the patient coach social media and now getting to be a part of this conference. I just feel so lucky to have been able to grow as a person and an ostomy patient in this company and then also professionally getting that experience. So mm -hmm. hope is going to be legendary. I'm hoping it's, mm -hmm. it's yearly that it's it's definitely going to be on our um, to do to have annually. And I think there's going to be a lot of amazing people there. So I've been trying to get the word out. That's something as the project manager, just sharing it with anybody and everybody because everyone is invited. And tell me when and where it's going to be and how people can register. Thank you so much. So the conference is in Las Vegas at the Hard Rock Hotel. It is on October 24th and 25th. So a Thursday and Friday. So it's really cool. You can stay for the weekend as well. And you can uh, register on our Eventbrite page. So if it's easiest, if you just want to go to the patient coaches Instagram and there's a link in the bio, or you can go to the website club11health.com. And there you will find a hope drop down. So there will be an Eventbrite page where you can learn about the speakers that are going to be there. You can see the agenda. You can find a hotel code that you can use. There's a discount for using that code. I think it's a group code and a plan code. 
And then you can get that discount if you want to stay at the hotel. So all the information is there. And it's even if you can't attend, we're working so, so hard to get it live streamed. That is on the top of my to-do list. So um, we're hoping if you can't attend, you can watch. That is awesome. And I will grab all of those links and details and I'll plug them into the show notes so that they're easy to get to from from this podcast as well, because I think it's such an incredible thing that you are helping to put together and put on that it's really going to be an exciting, such an exciting event. I wish I could just fly out real quick to Vegas and, <laughs> and attend, yeah. but uh, definitely. I'll put it on my calendar for next year. I'm definitely, I'm going to hopefully get that live stream up. I want to watch it this year. And then next year I'm booking the plane ticket. <laughs> hey, I really appreciate your or, yeah, I know that you were saying that you wanted to walk right away. You asked for the live. So I, I was just happy to hear even people asking that they said, I can't attend, but I want to watch. Is there a live? So mm-hmm. we don't expect everybody to just be able to. There are health issues. There are work. So things like that, just having the support of you guys watching just means the world to me and the whole company. It's incredible. I love seeing what Eleven Health is doing and just knowing that they're so young and there's so so much on the horizon for the company and everything that it's doing and all of the programs. It really is exciting to see this happening in the IBD world. It is. I, I just think there's not another company like us. So it's just so exciting to be a part of somebody a company that is just so new and fresh and um, we really care about our patients. Yeah. And it shows, it definitely does. So tell me if people want to follow you, follow 11 health, where can they find you online on, on your Instagram and want to share all of your, your handles for both? Yeah, definitely. So my health Instagram is the fury fighter. So my last name, F U R E Y. And then I do have a Facebook too, the same handle. I'm working to get my Instagram connected to that for those who only use Facebook. For the patient coach social media, we are on Facebook as the patient coaches. Um, Instagram is patient coaches. And then Twitter is the same, but it's coaches patient. So that it was kind of taken the other way. And then 11 yeah. health. Yeah, I know. It's a little frustrating, but we we tried and it's it's very similar. So for Instagram, um it is 11 health and tech. So 11 is 11. And then for um Facebook, it is actually Alfred Alert, I believe. And then for Twitter, it is 11 health and tech as well. So we covered a lot today. We covered everything from surgery to food to advocacy. Is there anything that we did not talk about that you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? You know what? I think we went through a lot. I would just say that because of the the name of the conference, Hope, I would say Mm -hmm. I'm an example of having hope. You go through so many things in your life um, with IBD. You have surgeries and you have pain and you're just chronically ill. But my story is one to think about if you will ever be better. So I was diagnosed at 20. I'm 25 at 12. I'm 25 now. And my whole life I had flares. This past year, I found a medication, Simsia, that got me out of the flare. 
So I'm kind of that amazing success story that I hope you guys think about when you're feeling like you can't get through that day or you're not going to wake up from the surgery feeling better or you're having kind of those thoughts that aren't as positive as you'd like. I hope that my story shows that there is hope for the future because if I did not have this one year of remission, I think I would feel a little less discouraged as I do um, now. I'm, I have so much encouragement and I have so much more positivity because I know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You're not always going to be sick. There's always going to be a day that's easier than the, the worst day that you just had. I love that message. And that is a wonderful way to end this podcast. And so thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on and choosing to share your journey with us and for all of the support that you're giving to the IBD community. Yeah, I want to thank you for inviting me. And I hope this story can reach as many people as possible and help them feel less alone. That's one of my main goals. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn's Fitness Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.